my personality to be jittery. It's part of my charm. Wrestling fans, are you ready? It's time for my one, two, three cents of the podcast on the Jittery Monkey Podcasting Network. Give me a hell yeah! Now, here's your host. The man is also a very long, dear, personal friend of mine. Does the guy have a name? Yes, he has a name. Kevin Huntsberger. Woo! If you've dreamed of becoming a professional wrestler, it's time to make that dream a reality. The Stride Pro Wrestling Training Academy is now enrolling new students. Classes meet on Tuesdays and Thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. for just $60 per month. Be sure to check out the Stride Pro Wrestling Facebook page at facebook.com slash stridepro-wrestling and get enrolled now. It is episode 377 of the My One Two Three Cents podcast, and since it is February, I decided each week we're going to do some kind of Valentine's ish theme with it. And for two is greater than one. I am joined by Tyler Heath Hatton of Stride Pro Wrestling, and we're going to be talking today about wrestlers who we may be undervalued or underappreciated through the years, and then through time and kind of what it was about them that changed our perspective and our opinions. But before we get into that. Heath, welcome to the show, and uh, Stride Pro Wrestling, another great show over the weekend, No Love Lost, but we're looking ahead now to Strideversary, which is essentially the WrestleMania for Stride Pro Wrestling, the big anniversary show, six years, congratulations, by the way, uh, six years ago you had a vision, and it has still up and running and, and doing very well today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Strideversary, we, uh, it just seems like no matter where we have it or no matter where we do it, it's like, there's like a buzz about it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, you know, the, just the one year where we had to do it at, uh, I can't even remember that old junkie school. Oh yeah. There was like, you know, and the we Cambridge actually got, <laughs> the ball kicked us out like three days before yes. and we were scrounging to find a venue. Um, that was the only time that I really, it, it really felt like it, uh, there wasn't a, a, a buzz to it, but it, yeah. It just seems like even right before COVID happened, when we had that one, the Harrisburg one, it was yeah. like there was still it was a it was a feeling in the shows and the matches. And, um, it's uh, I really think this year is the first year since the one where we did the Iron Man, and I feel like this is the first year where we're hopefully going to have a nor- another normal stride anniversary. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're going to rent a venue hopefully. And I really feel like, uh, you know, Stridiversary is just, it's, uh, it's just kind of our day, kind of our, our show. And, um, you know, it really just, it kind of seems like for us, it does, it feels like, you know, we do really well January through May for our company. It just seems like if you look back through all the shows that we've done, uh, we've, you know, they've always been popular, but you look at January, you know, AAW resurrection or the, 
West Frankfurt show where we had like 600 and something people show yeah. up or the Johnson city show that, that we always did in February that never had less than 400 people there. And then right in the stride anniversary. Then after that, Jerry travel set always did a show uh, right after that in April or May. And it, it just seems like for, for us, for our company um, now, granted because of January, um, I made the call to, uh, to postpone the show. Um, it, uh, we had, we actually had six or seven of our talent was actually positive for COVID. Mm. And, uh, and so, um, you know, we were going to have to really change the matches around and, um, you know, and actually I, I think you won't mind that riser was going to be, he was, he was released off quarantine that Saturday. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so, you know, I actually had basketball regionals the, the following week or the conference tournament, the final, the next week. And so I, uh, really did not feel like, um, it's probably my best interest to go wrestle riser. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's really no way to, to avoid it. And I mean, he was released, but it was recommended that he wear a mask. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I just went ahead and made and made the choice to to postpone it. Yeah, and I don't think I you know I didn't hear any uh, negative feedback or you know why did you do this and uh, you know of course I think people are more understanding these days because of the way things are going um, with COVID and you know as we are recording this prior to the Saturday show. Uh, you know we had some ice and snow here in Southern Illinois and people were messaging asking you know is the show going to happen. Luckily, here in Carterville, the roads were were cleared, and and the main road to where our building is held or is at is is clear. So, uh, as you're listening to this uh, post, no love lost. Uh, you know, it was, it was uh, I'm I'm going to be optimistic that it was a great night and a great uh, venue, of course. And did you ever think six years ago, or you know, just over six years ago, when you really kind of got things rolling with Stride, and then that first show happens? Uh, you know, in March of 2016, there in the mall, and I, I can still remember the the feel of that night and how exciting it was. Did you think that that would still, you know, six years later, not only would we still be up and running and having shows, but you know, basically having a place of our own to to hold these shows and to have the training school and and to do all the things that are still associated with Stride that's made it stand out for so long? Oh gosh, not at all. Um, you know, it was really supposed to be, honestly, a one-off. Uh-huh. We, we, were, we weren't really the name Stride yet. Yeah, that's right. We had had, we had, had talks about it. And uh, me and a buddy of mine, Matt Westbrook, um, was kind of, you know, there was, uh, you know, we talked about before on this podcast, but uh, it was a lot of people. There was a guy named Mike Benavi, and he owned the, the building, and, and, and or he was in the mall, and it was his spot. He wanted to bring in wrestling. He was lo- looking to bring in basically revenue and more classes, more opportunities. And he had all these people reaching out to him, begging him, you know, to let them. And he actually, somebody gave him my information. He reached out to me. Uh, me and him sat down. I had never met him before. Me and you were supposed to meet him once, and he, and he wasn't there, if you remember. Yeah, I do remember that, that yes. <laughs> Me and you met and sat there, and uh, and anyway, we uh, I ended up meeting him for the first time, and, and we sat down, and 
I kind of told them what I thought it should be and how the classes should be ran and, and how it, you know, would, how it would go. And, and, uh, anyway, and long story short, he wanted to, to have a wrestling show and, uh, he wanted me to do it and he wanted me to run it. And I, uh, you know, I, I knew Matt Westbrook at the time was wanting to get back involved and he owned a company called iCall and, Anyway, he was wanting to get back involved in it, and I, uh, you know, I, I didn't know the promoting side of it. I didn't know. I, I had no clue about that side of wrestling. I didn't know anything about it, and he did. And so I just was like, you know what, I've always kind of wanted a book, blah, blah, blah. So me and him got together anyway. I honestly thought it was just going to be a one-off for every three or four-month thing. Mm-hmm. And... uh I last minute ordered a heavyweight title and, and, uh, you know, and, um, and, you know, what was funny is, you know, me and my, one of my good friends, one of your good friends, Shane Rich, we had been in talks about doing a, a, sh- a show together, me and him. And that's right. And, uh, and he at the time wasn't ready. He owned a ring and he at the time wasn't, um, and, uh, um, and so we had talked about doing stuff and, but he wasn't quite ready to pull the trigger yet. And I thought, okay, this will be one off. I ordered a belt and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was such a huge success. And the next show, you know, he actually called me and he's like, you want to do one next month? And I said, sure. So then we did it the next month yeah. and then it was successful. And then. After the second, we actually had a name, Stride, for the second show. And then the third show is when he called me and he said, uh, I don't want to do this. The, the, the Mike Benavi said, I don't, mm. I don't want to be in charge of paying people. I don't want to be in charge. How about you just do it? And, um, and so I was like, okay. And about that time... <laughs> Matt Westbrook uh, decided him and his band got back together and and he had some personal stuff going on and they he said I'm done and I was like <laughs> oh my gosh and so actually that third show we didn't do very well uh, it was a really a really low draw I struggled to pay everybody we came out ahead I think I think I came out ahead a hundred dollars to roll over to the next month however. You know, our rent wasn't that expensive, and, and I only had, at the time, Dan, uh, Red Daniels, Scott Phoenix, and Frank Edwards were the only ones paying to train. Mm. And uh, and so after that third month, I was like, oh my gosh, and thought we were going to make it. And then that fourth show, I'll never forget, uh, Dalton Diamond reached out, and they were supposed to do a show with somebody somewhere, and he had booked Cowboy Bob Orton. Yes. And, uh, and so he had booked him and he said, Hey, our show fell through. Can I bring him to stride? And I was like, can you, (laughs) you please? So actually that was, I mean, if that show, I mean, in all honesty, if Dalton diamond hadn't done that, if that show hadn't done well, um, I mean, I think that show we did the rumble and, and we did we did some other stuff at that show and um and uh 
and we had really uh, we put on a really good show, had really good matches. I think Roger, that was his debut night, mm. and we uh, we were really building. Actually, I, I'm wanting to say we were building for um, the July show, which was me versus Axe for the title. But we also had, I had started booking, we were building at, at this, and I had just started the tag team tournament, and I believe the Star Twins were there, and uh, we put on a really good show. Yeah, I think you're and right. And the next, the next month, I think was June, I'm wanting to say it was June, and uh, so it might have been the third show, I can't remember, maybe the second one, I, I can't remember, <laughs> but I want to say it was June or July, and uh, it was it was sold out. I'll never forget, I uh, love him to death, but I'm sitting there and we're waiting. And we did it on July 4th weekend was the show. And uh, I was sitting there and Bull Bronson walked over to me and he said, I'm not going to criticize you, but you have to be dumb to run a wrestling show on July 4th weekend. <laughs> and I said, I didn't have a choice. There was a something going on the next weekend, blah blah blah, and I said I didn't have a choice, and he said, "Terrible, terrible booking," and he walked away. Oh, and wow. he came up to me at the end of the show, and he said, "There's a reason why you own this company, and I don't." <laughs> and he shook my hand, and he was like, "Fantastic show!" And we had sold out, and then the rest was history. That was a, uh, but I I can remember just. If the show with Bob Orton, I remember telling myself, if it doesn't do well and I lose money, I'm done. I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm not going to, I saw what it did to pro wrestling collision. I'm not going to go. Right. Right. Well, you know, we had talked before we started recording about uh, a topic for this week or for this month's podcast. And I, you know, I, I threw out the idea, and it's a little obscure, but I've always wanted to kind of talk about some talent out there that I maybe didn't like, that maybe other people resonated to or found, uh, became big fans of, and for whatever reason, you know, I think that there are guys out there that uh, are in a lot of people's Mount Rushmores or, or in their top five or top ten that, you know, I never either liked or appreciated and, and through the years my perspective has changed so uh, I thought maybe that'd be a fun talking point so do you have someone um on the top of your you know I I like this guy or, or this w- woman wrestler now that I didn't like before and and kind of the story behind it uh I mean there was I think you told me to pick three is that mm-hmm. right we decided we we're gonna do three yeah do three yeah so I'll pick my third one I just kind of uh, was my number three is Christian. Oh, okay. Um, and I, uh, a lot of what I was trying to pick was um, guys that, uh, um, it's really hard because I mean, there's, a, there's a list of guys, but a lot of them were like, but I don't like them because I wasn't supposed to like them and I was a, a fan. Right. <laughs> or did I not like them because, you know, for or whatever reason. And so, um, and then as a, it's different for me. I've said this before in your podcast. If you've trained to wrestle and you are a wrestler, um, I don't like to 
to badmouth you or say you're not a good wrestler or yeah. whatever because sure. it's so hard to become a wrestler. And you, I mean, it, whether you are, this isn't not, whether you're Jay Spade or you're B Rad or whoever, uh, Scott Phoenix, like, I saw the work these guys put in and the training and the effort. And, and that goes for everybody. And if you're at WWE, I've been there and I know the training and what you're expected to do and the things you're put through. So I may not be a fan or I may not like, I don't really like their work or, you know, whatever, but I don't like to say like, they're not a good wrestler. Um, But when I was a kid, I couldn't stand uh, Christian. Thought he was, you know, I I thought him and him and edge were like, I mean, I thought they were, too goofy so i would change the channel when i was a kid when wow. they came on and so um you know i flip over to wcw um and then once honestly he went to tna and i had a buddy who was a gigantic tna fan and i started watching his single work over there and the stuff he was doing over there and i became a huge fan and now that i go back and I send you snaps where I'm watching stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And now he's one of my favorites to go back and watch. And I wish I would have um, respected him a lot more. Um, but now I, I, we made it, me and you did our top whatever list and, and he was in the top. He's one of my favorites, but I can remember as a kid, I, I did not change the channel when, wow. when they came on. Wow. Yeah, Edge and Christian are in my probably top five favorite tag teams. So uh, I, I, that's that's interesting. I, I didn't know you uh, didn't like him so much at the beginning. My, my number three is Kevin Nash. Um, you know, as as Oz and Vinny Vegas and even as Diesel. You know, for some reason, I just never got the appeal. You know, yeah, he was a big guy, and and he could get in there and move and whatnot. I I just, and again, it kind of goes into, am I not supposed to like this guy? Because, yeah, he was very cocky and confident, and but that was as the, you know, the bad guy uh, being Diesel. As as the good guy, as the WWF champion, you know, back in, in the mid-90s, we were supposed to like him. And I, he just, for whatever reason, and maybe it was because... I thought Bret Hart kind of got uh, undersold there for a little bit, and uh, you know I wanted to see his run go longer. I, I I don't know. And then when he jumped ship, you know, because I was a wrestling fan first and foremost, but I was a more of a WWE WWF loyalist at the time. So when anybody would jump to WCW, yeah, I took it personally. You know, Razor Ramon when he left, I was like, okay, screw him. X Pac, or you know, when he was the one two three kid. And then, of course, Kevin Nash. So when they showed up on WCW programming, even though it completely, in my opinion now, you know, looking back on it 25 years later, it revolutionized wrestling for, for all the fans. And so, um, you know, even when, when Nash came back and I, you know, and I, again, I'm not going to, you know, become the, the biggest Kevin Nash cheerleader, but just kind of hearing him today speak from his perspective and you know i have a great amount of appreciation and respect for the fact that he is still getting in there and working out and and keeping up and you know being a part of the business and and just you know 
I just really respect that, and I and I feel like you know he was again someone that yeah I I didn't really care for. I I didn't necessarily dislike him, but he was someone that I wouldn't have had on my top ten. And uh, you know these days I think that he's someone that uh, definitely made an impact and and made a difference. And it wasn't you know some people like to saddle him with you know being the lowest drawing champion in the history of the company and all this that and the other, but. You know, I, I think it's a team effort, and I think that uh, there are some people that you can point blame to, but I don't solely put it on his shoulders. And uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm glad that he is still, uh, you know, around from time to time, and we see him and hear from him, and and you know, follow him on social media. Um. All right. So, I, I, I see. I when I was my my time with Kevin Nash was he was cool. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, I was, uh, and I was, a, I thought the Wolfpack was cool. You know, I think we talked about this before. So I wasn't an NWO black and white guy per se. Uh, I kind of came in later, um, but I was a Wolfpack guy. I thought they were cool. So I kind of thought, you know, uh, Kevin Nash was cool. So I always kind of liked him. Um, and, uh, but I did think the, the finger poke of, of doom that was <laughs> That's pretty stupid. Yes. <laughs> Who's your number two? Uh, my number two is uh, Randy Orton. Oh. So um, I was. Uh, um, it was so funny before I before I wrestled, and before I I, I was a wrestling fan, obviously, but uh, I got my tribal tattoo on my back, and mm. when I started wrestling, I'll never forget. I think it was Christian Rose was like said something like Randy Orton Mark. So we talking about, and it was because I had a tribal tattoo on my back, and I was like, <laughs> I remember saying I can't stand Randy Orton. Um, and it was I think a lot of it was because I was such a uh, Triple H fan, uh-huh. um, and I like I didn't really quite understand like. The, the Randy Orton push at the time. And, and, you know, you always heard that, uh, you know, he was selfish and, mm-hmm. and you know, self-centered and all this stuff. So, uh, you know, and I've talked about that before on here wrestlers who I always felt like went into business for themselves or over selfish or, uh, you know, I, I never like, are you here? Like, Oh, they refuse to put that guy over, which is weird because you hear that now more and more about triple H or whatever. But, at the time, I uh, I didn't like you heard all these bad things about Randy Orton, you know, and then he yeah. talks about him, you know, now openly the things that he did, and so I didn't like him. Uh, I always thought like, oh, he has a bad attitude. They're trying to push him just because of who his dad is. He's not that talented, and you know, and that's how I thought. And then even when I was training to be a wrestler, I was like does the same things and then now like you go back and watch or you see him now just no matter what he does it's uh whether he's working you know uh, i went back not too long ago and i watched that uh thing he did with uh the mcmahon's where he you know he gave uh stephanie oh, the ddt yeah. and uh um and you know triple h came out like just no matter what they put him with or the stuff, you know, Daniel Bryan was, you know, the, the biggest star in the company and 
just the way that he was able to transition out of what they were trying to book and realize like, okay, we got to make this mm-hmm. about him. I just, the, the things that he's able, and even now seeing him with Riddle, just uh, no matter what they put him in, uh, whether it's rated RKO or whatever it is, it seems like he's so good at just making it work and um, say what you want about his in-ring ability or, or whatever, but just the way if you guys listening have not listened to Becky Lynch on the Stone Cold podcast, like are you anybody that's been on the Stone Cold Stone Cold podcast, they always, almost every single one of them talk about like Becky Lynch said it. I just listened to it this morning while doing cardio. That's why it's fresh on my mind. But she made the comment like, I don't really care so much about the moves or the match as more as I do the story. Mm-hmm. Just and and if you can tell a story and then it translates and there's nobody who really does it better than Randy Orton as far as telling a story. It's uh it's it's quite amazing to me. Well, you're not going to believe this, but Randy Orton is is also my number two. Um, for a long time, I did not like him. Uh, you know, called him Randy Borton, uh, very clever. Uh, and I, I don't know what it has been in the last few, you know, the last handful of years, but something clicked within me, and I was like, really came to uh, appreciate and respect his, his abilities uh, in the ring, um, you know, and then the stories that you hear of, of the outside of the ring stuff, you know, is he really the jerk that people say that he is? And, you know, has, you know, we all get older, we get wiser, we change our ways. And, and we've really, I feel like as fans, especially I can say this because I'm older than you and then Randy Orton, um, you watch them kind of mature and, and change, uh, you know, in, in the ring and, and, with the way they live their lives and, and whatnot. And I'll, I'll tell you a couple of quick little Randy Orton stories. Um, in 2010, we were in, uh, Chad and I were in Phoenix for WrestleMania and we had gone to the hall of fame. And for some reason that year, they had all of the buses lined up right outside the, the hall of fame venue. And they were, you know, all the superstars after the ceremony got on these buses and went, back to the hotel or wherever they were going. So like literally, and they had uh, guardrails up so you couldn't like jump over and, you know, get in their way. But we lined up and we were, we were watching them all come out and, and load the buses. And, and Chad and I were standing at the very front of this gate, uh, this guardrail thing. And Randy Orton walked by and Randy Orton is from St. Louis. I'm also from St. Louis at the time. And this was back with his first wife. They had a house at the High Ridge Country Club, which High Ridge is where I grew up. I was raised there. My parents still live there. And I knew that Randy Orton lived there. Not many people know of of High Ridge. It's a very small, very, very small town. So Randy walks by and I said, hey, Randy, I'm from High Ridge. (laughs) And he stopped and he looked at me and he goes, no shit. And I go, yeah. And then, I mean, that was it. I mean, it was a quick little interaction, but I thought, wow, he, I, you know, he actually stopped to acknowledge me. I, you know, he could have just kept on, you know, cause people were yelling and everything else. So I thought that was really cool. And then two years later, when WrestleMania was in Miami, I happened to be on the same flight as Randy's wife and daughter. And I remember, 
you know, getting off the plane and we're standing there waiting and Randy was waiting for his wife and daughter and he was just getting barraged with fans. And this is where I think as fans, we need to do better. If, if wrestlers are open for it and, and wanting to, uh, you know, have you coming up, up to them and, and talking, that's one thing. But he was there and I heard him, I heard, I actually heard him telling these people, you know, I'm here to pick up my wife and daughter. I'm not doing pictures. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing autographs today. I, I'm just here to pick up my family. It's personal. And he was very polite about it, you know, because people have always kind of criticized him. But I thought the way he handled that situation was also pretty, pretty cool. And, you know, he could have been, uh, you know, a complete dick about it, but he wasn't. And like I said, you know, just that that maturation and that evolution of, of Randy Orton. And, you know, I think he's going to be one of those guys that is going to stay active. He's he's in great shape and he he's good in the ring. He's good on the mic, and I think that Riddle has benefited from being with him, and I think that, that you know, their inevitable split, I think, when it happens, uh, I can't wait to see what's next, and, and I hope Orton is the one that uh, that turns heel again, because I think he's at his best when he is, uh, you know, that ruthless heel-type character. Yeah, I agree, um, but then I... It's hard to tell who's more popular, really, him or Riddle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, you know, it's. I think the diehard wrestling fans are starting to like. It, it just seems funny, you know. It's kind of like Hogan and The Rock, you know. And, yeah. Or whatever. It's. Uh, it seems like wrestling fans really start to realize like your your days with these guys are numbered. It's, yeah. Uh, you know your your time watching them is numbered and so uh it's kind of like you you kind of gravitate towards them and, and you kind of are it's hard to root against them uh and so but then again you have your marks who are like riddle's the best ever you know he like he makes funny videos on instagram so like you know he's our favorite uh and he goes against the system and he now goldberg and lesnar so we gotta love him so it'll be interesting yeah. to see what they do yeah uh, with that. So who do you have as your number one? John Cena. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, um, he, uh, uh, and I think a lot of it is I don't, I, I, I think I've said before on here, I kind of, uh, I quit watching wrestling right around the invasion. Whenever the invasion happened and for WWE, uh-huh. and they brought nobody back. Right. And then, uh, and around the time, I remember watching Rock and Hogan, and uh, and I, but I can remember like I wasn't really. I watched a little bit when NWO came in, and then I was kind of like, "This is stupid, what they're doing with it," and so, and then I kind of. Uh, you know, I kind of quit, and and then uh, I think it was a I can't remember what happened first, but anyway, I can I think I told this before. Uh, me and Sam Hunter, Sam Hamblin, had a class together, and he uh, I remember I told him one day. He said, "We used to always talk wrestling," and I quit watching it. And I was like, "It's just stupid. It's the same thing over and over." And I was in high school. I was in sports. I didn't have time. I mean, I was never home mm-hmm. uh, and to watch it and. Uh, and if I was home, you know, I was talk, trying to talk to a girl on the phone. Probably, uh, wasn't like you. I wasn't 
hiding in my room watching wrestling. Um, and uh, but anyway, true story. <laughs> I remember I told Sam. I said we were talking, and, and me and Sam used to talk on MSN Messenger. So I get on MSN Messenger at night. We were talking, and you were talking. He's like, "Well, you watch wrestling." And I said, "I'll tell you what. I'll watch wrestling whenever or whenever Goldberg comes back." And uh, when Goldberg comes back, I'll watch it. So that tells you how big of a mark I was. So Sam came in one morning. He said, Goldberg's back. Um, and then I I watched the Goldberg stuff, and I kind of got out of it, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I watched it periodically, but I don't remember Cena. And, uh, and then once I got back into watching it, Cena was doing his thugonomics thing. And again, it was Sam who he would make posts. Uh, like he would change his MSN name to Doctor of Thugonomics or uh, stuff like that. And I think his Facebook page, he would post uh, Thugonomics stuff. And I can remember being like, like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And I remember watching. And now here's the thing that I've learned with wrestling. It is, and I, WWE is really bad. It's so funny. It seems like they want people to have a gimmick, a goofy gimmick, but the ones that have the goofy gimmick, they don't normally push. Mm-hmm. You know, like, even though, no matter how popular they are, um, the Hurricane or Gold Dust, these guys who are workers, Zack Ryder, you know, guys like that, that the crowd's behind and they want to see. But WWE, it's like they don't take them serious. So I, I can remember watching and, and being like, oh, this guy is goofy. He's rapping. They're making fun of him. They're making fun of rap. They're making fun of Vanilla Ice. This guy is like he's never going to amount to anything. And then yeah. you watch him wrestle, and you can tell it's very generic, and it's very, you know, it's, it's just let me show you how strong I am. Uh, and I... And it was very catered to his gimmick with the you can't see me and all that. And I was like, I can't stand this guy. And then, then you know, then he feuded with Triple H. And and I'm like, um, Triple H is carrying this guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. And then over time, I started to realize, like, I got invested storylines that he was in. And it's, I don't care what you say, anytime people talk about CM Punk, they talk about his feud with John Cena. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about Randy Orton, you talk about his feud with John Cena. Uh, you watch all the Edge stuff they do, they talk about Edge's feud with John Cena. Uh, Triple H, they talk about his feuds with John Cena. Uh, you know, when John Cena came back with Roman Reigns, they were talking about that. One of the greatest matches of all time was The Rock and John Cena. Mm-hmm. And I, it kind of made me realize, like, one thing that is constant in all these matches is John Cena. Yeah. And so I, it took me forever to realize it. And I started going back and watching. And his, I've said this on your podcast before, they should offer John Cena $15 million a year come and be the head producer for every single wrestling match that every wrestler has. Um, because I think the way he puts wrestling matches together is better than anybody. And I will, 
And that is what I think, honestly, has made him so popular and so good. When John Cena wrestles, I don't care. People get mad because they said WWE ran him down your throat or whatever. When you watch a WWE match, the reason the crowd is going crazy for all their false finishes is you never know who's going to win. Because he'll lose to anybody. Right, yeah. I mean, you look at how many times CM Punk beat him. Mm -hmm. You look, Kevin Owens' first night beat him. Yeah. Uh, Edge beat him. You watch all these. He understood that you have and I think a lot of people, even till this day, they're scared that a, what a loss will do to them. Yeah. They're, they're, that it'll knock them down. And I think Cena has always been like, I've been at the bottom, so pin me. <laughs> I can't get any worse. Yeah. And I think over time, it's, it's you know, you, I mean, WWE, I think, missed the boat. Uh, I really felt like the year that Lesnar wrestled, Undertaker, could you imagine John Cena versus Undertaker? Mm, mm-hmm. I mean, could you imagine yeah. the crowd reaction? Yeah, to the false finishes. I mean, it would have been it would have been the greatest match in WWE history, in my opinion. Just because the way Cena is, you would think he has a chance to beat him. Right. Yeah. And it would have been it would have been single handedly the greatest thing ever. But he was my he's my number one. He is because I'll say it. I think John Cena is now as a worker, as a wrestler, as somebody who's trained, and as a fan. John Cena is the greatest wrestler of all time. Um, wow. I, I think he is. I think uh, I think he should come back, beat Ric Flair's record. I think he is. I think he should go down as the the biggest wrestler, the greatest wrestler of all time. Well, you know, that answers the follow-up question I was going to have for you because, you know, when I started watching wrestling, it was Hulkamania and Hulk Hogan, and then we transitioned, uh, and there was kind of that dead spot in the in the mid-'90s. And then, you know, the Attitude Era gets hot and heavy, and we get not one but two in, in Rock and Austin. And then things kind of cooled off again for a little bit, and then John Cena comes around. I, I got to think that he's on, at least in the conversation, and I and I think a lot of people have slept on Cena, but he's got to be up there in, in the uh, conversation for uh, top guys of all time. I mean, and you just kind of confirmed that with, with your assessment there. I mean, it's I, him and Flair are one and two. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really are. And I, it's longevity. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it wasn't something like, Stone Cold only wrestled at like six WrestleManias or right. something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, as popular and as, I mean, now, as far as Cold did save wrestling, he, he saved WWE, and he, there was nobody for a period of time as popular as he was. Um, but, I mean, John Cena has, I mean, the longevity uh, that he did it. And, um, and I mean, it's, People can say whatever they want about, you know, we talk about this all the time, about WWE, AEW, TNA, or whatever company it is. Um, I mean, it's, we see now, oh my gosh, did you see they sold out 12,000 people? They sold out 14, you know, whatever they brag about now, which is 
you know, 14,000 more people than Stride ever sold out. <laughs> but, uh, but John Cena for every single show, uh, for every single pay-per-view, for every single WrestleMania, being the marquee, the top guy was bringing in, I mean, you know, my, my WWE debut, you know, uh, where I wrestled on my pay-per-view, mm-hmm. you know, that was is him versus Brock, and there was 24,000 people there. Now, I'd like to think him and Brock probably brought in two or 3,000. The rest was me <laughs> and uh, Ace Hawkins. But, I mean, you just look at, he was in his prime. He just wrestled The Rock. I mean, he was the marquee guy. He was at the top, yeah. and he brings in 24,000 people. Uh, and now you see even either company. I mean, they're... Sometimes in Chicago or wherever, they struggle to get 10,000 people in there. Yeah. Uh, and as popular as, as Roman Reigns and these guys are, I mean, Cena did it every single month, every single year. Um, heck, SIU, if you remember SIU. Yeah. When they came to SIU a few years ago, um, you know, we, we I had somebody who worked at SIU, and he said there was what? thousand tickets sold or 2500 tickets sold the minute that they announced john cena was going to be there they had sold over 5000 tickets yeah within like a three week period so they struggled to get 2000 they added cena and they added like over 3000 tickets you know that's just here you yeah. know so right uh and i mean but he's the longevity of how long he's done it i mean it's just it's un- and if you sit and watch his matches i mean they're the way they're put together, the psychology is if more wrestlers nowadays would sit and study his matches, his main event matches and the way he puts them together and watch the matches he has leading up and the way he puts his stories together, it'd be so much better than these guys trying to watch some spot fest doing stuff they can't do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the one complaint, you know, that we have as, as trainers and vets is these guys, they watch these guys like the young bucks who are talented and so good, but they've practiced that and they've done that for years to be able to wrestle that way. And they're athletic and certain guys, you can't do that. You, you, you look goofy doing it if you're not that good. And I wish more guys would watch John Cena. He just, I just read an article, it's on Yahoo right now, how he talked about how he wasn't athletic, so he couldn't wrestle athletically. Mm. And he just now started doing yoga to make himself more athletic and more flexible. Oh, wow. And uh, he's just, in my opinion, uh, he's the greatest. And I I used to think he was the worst. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Well, my number one is not a wrestler, but... Someone who, again, we talked about Kevin Nash and the NWO changing the game. And my number one is Eric Bischoff. I hated, despised, could not stand Eric Bischoff. The sound of his voice, the look of his face. He had one of those faces I thought was just a punchable uh, face. And I, and I, this goes back to his AWA days. And it wasn't just, uh, you know, as the WCW announcer or then, you know, doing commentary on Nitro. And then, of course... All this kind of goes down. I was in college at the time, and all this goes down just as the internet is coming out. So I was reading a lot of, of you know, those chat rooms and, and message boards and stuff and, you know, the alleged behind-the-scenes stuff going on with Bischoff. And I just, 
I hated that he was giving away spoilers on Nitro for for Raw. Um, you know, he was a dick, and and I his podcast now with with Conrad eighty three weeks is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to because he tells such great stories and really I feel like got the business. You know, he understood the business of the business, and that's what has made it appealing. And even when he came back, you know, when he came back to, to WWE back right after or shortly after uh, the buyout and whatnot, and, and he was just a character on TV, he grew on me. And, and maybe part of my hatred for him was the fact, like I said before, I was a WWE loyalist, and he was leading the charge against the WWE. But also, you know, listening to this podcast and listening to the way, you know, his philosophy of if you can't be better than, you have to be different than. And I think that's what he did with Nitro, with introducing luchadors and kind of changing the format and, and doing things differently, going live. Because I think live TV does make much better wrestling than a recorded show, especially nowadays with the internet and spoilers and all that good stuff. So his influence, I think, is still being felt. And, you know, I love seeing him pop up from time to time, either on AEW or on WWE and, you know, uh, just kind of hearing his perspective and his thoughts on things. And, you know, was he perfect? Not by any means, but just looking back and listening to his perspective and why he made some of the decisions he made. And again, he was, you know, kind of tied down with some of the things that he could do because of TBS and TNT and, and corporate with Turner and, and all that. But uh, I really feel like uh, sometimes WWE rewrites history. There's that revisionist history to some things. And I think sometimes, and I just think recently they've, they've kind of acknowledged, especially putting him in the hall of fame last year, they've acknowledged more of the uh, input or the impact rather that he has had uh, on the business and, you know, what he, he did, you know, I know he did some stuff with TNA and impact as well, but uh, you know, WCW and, and, and WWE stuff. Um, I just really have come to appreciate and respect the guy. And I I'm bummed that I did not take advantage of going to St. Louis over Royal rumble weekend and, and seeing his live show with Jeff Jarrett. I would love to one day go and listen to him and, and see him in person and meet him. But, he was one guy at one point, man, I hated him, but, uh, I think he's, he's, a, a creative, uh, mind that needs to be appreciated and respected more by, by fans, especially ones like me that were just blinded and had the WWE blinders on for so many years. Uh, he is probably, uh, like I said, he used to always, he used to always tell me, Oh, I listened to Bruce Pritchard. I was like, I listened to Eric Bischoff. <laughs> uh, and he's always, I guess I was a WCW guy, but uh, I've always just, even listening to his podcast or, you know, listening to, you know, you hear, uh, you know, uh, I do think he made mistakes by, you know, uh, his WCW, by the people that he, you know, you, you hear the Hulk Hogan yeah. horror stories, you know, uh, he refused to do this, refused to do that. And I think that was kind of his downfall was, you know, but again, it's one of those things where it's like, that's where Vince McMahon has been successful because, and it's, and it sucks that that's the way it is. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, you look at all the stuff, Bret Hart Vince, and all the stuff he did, you know, where he said he did it, you know, because he loved it. And then yeah. 
when Vince kind of felt like he couldn't make money with him anymore and he was going a different direction. It was, <laughs> see ya. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, and that, and I think that that is, uh, you know, it's, if you look at a, and I hate to use this reference because we're not a football reference, but you look at the New England, New England Patriots with Tom Brady, with Bill Belichick felt like, he yeah. was done with him. He he was done with him. He didn't yeah. want him anymore. And it, it didn't matter that he had coached with him for 20 years. He was done with him, and he wanted him gone. Uh, and it's uh, I think that was Eric Bischoff's downside with, with Hogan was uh, he was going to, you know, uh, ride with him no matter what. And I think a lot of times, you know, just by listening to his podcast, these guys with guaranteed dates and that was it and so who was coming to tv or who was working on tv or who you know or who was going to be working this pay-per-view and and so i think he got himself in trouble because i think that's he made him he put himself in debt with these people however it was hulk hogan that got him to the dance so i understand Mm -hmm. that that human nature will royalness to him. But, uh, um, you know, I kind of felt bad. I was kind of excited. I, you know, I can remember, uh, Red Daniel sent me where Eric Bischoff had signed to be the executive director. And I was so excited. Oh yeah. And, uh, I, I, you know, I was like, all right. And, and then you kind of, uh, you know, and then you, you read the reports now where supposedly, <laughs> Shane McMahon's got fired, you know, uh, and, and, you know, who knows about any of that stuff, but, uh, um, but you kind of see, uh, I, I guess the only person who's really in charge there is Vince, I think. And I think, uh, uh, I, you know, it's kind of sad because I really kind of feel like, uh, he could contribute to somebody. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I think he could really, he has a good wrestling mind and, he would be a really good consultant. And I, and I kind of wonder, you know, he's been on WWE a few times, and him and Bruce Pritchard are close. I'm kind of hoping that he is maybe doing some kind of input or consulting. Yeah. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Well, that's it for our list. Let's hear from you guys. What are, or who are some wrestlers or, or wrestling uh, personalities that you maybe despised at first, but uh, grew to love them? Let us know over on the My123Cents uh, Facebook page or Twitter, of course. And you can also check out Stride Pro Wrestling. Go to strideprowrestling.com. Stay up to date. We will have a location announced for Strideversary coming up on Saturday, March 5th. We hope that you will join us for that, too. Tyler, anything else you want to add before we say goodbye today? Um, no. I uh, hope nobody sends in that they that they <laughs> despise me when I started. They despise me now. I mean, Hunter, Hunter Woodworth will. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, of course, Hunter will. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks again for being a part of the show. And, friends, we will talk again next week. <laughs> This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. Jittery Monkey.